You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Hello everybody, it's uh, February and we are in Sweden and I have a special guest in the studio from long way ago and it's from Singapore. Uh, my name is Nicolien Wackerberg and I'm a development leader at Kulturen and the host for today. And Esther, who are you? Hi everyone, I'm Esther Lim. I'm from Singapore. Uh, I'm uh, trained as a medical social worker and right now I'm also the uh, head coordinator for Esther Network in Singapore. So I think not everybody knows what does that mean, the Esther Network? Yes, so Esther Network is actually um, a network believing that whatever improvements we make, we should always start with Esthers, who are our patients, the caregivers and the people that we care for. So we always start with asking what matters to them, then what is the matter with them. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So your background is a social worker. Yes. Yeah, And uh, you start to educate coaches for, I think, a couple of years ago. Um, is there a difference because as a social worker you are coaching patients, clients, um, and now we are coaching for making improvements in health and social care. Is there a difference or what do you think? Right, so I've been a social worker for almost a quarter of a century, 24-5 years. So um, I don't see very much difference because in social work we are always taught to not tell people what to do but to always help them find their best, coach them to find where the trouble could be and how they can find solutions within themselves to improve their situation. So that is also very helpful in improvement work for health and social care. Do you think that you are training coaches, do you think that they always do that, that they are really waiting um, that another person can see the solutions? Well, I I think that maybe the difference is it may be um, a bit more difficult to coach um, improvement um, uh, colleagues, you know, because patients are here because they know they have an issue, they they need to change or they need some help. Whereas your colleagues, you know, sometimes they can be more task-oriented. They think they know the solution, so they come to you, they just want a quick answer. And that is where, you know, coaching has to come in slowly and patiently. Okay, yeah. I've never thought about that. Um, That's a good point. Uh, Are there any other things that you are reflecting on that you see that there's a difference or maybe the same? Well, I um, also think that, you know, coaching depends very much on the person's um, readiness. Um, I think everyone can be coached as long as the person, you know, is uh, open um, to listen to themselves. Uh, it will be difficult to coach someone if they are just focusing you know, on one thing, uh, a quick answer or, 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 or are you know, defending you know, their positions. Um, so I give an example. So in Esther um, Network, we train our coaches and we start by teaching them how to be coached. Yeah. So we have this exercise um, <clears throat> that I use uh, called Juggle Balls. So everyone will be very taken aback that, oh, you know, we don't know how to juggle. But the exercise is to coach them um, in juggling. So I learned this from a very nice uh, John Maxwell uh, workshop and it worked beautifully. 
So what the coach does is um, not telling them how to juggle better, not showing them YouTube videos of how people juggle, what are the techniques, the methods. But we start with the person. We see how they juggle. We ask them critical questions uh, of the observations we see, whether they are throwing the ball too high, above their head, be behind their head. And when the coaches hear these observations about what they're doing and they ask important questions, they will start to refine their own methods and everyone improve in juggling from where they started. And I think that is the essence of coaching. You become better from where you started. Uh, it doesn't have to be some special techniques. Well, in a way, you said it doesn't have to be special techniques, but you are mentioning two. You are, you are giving critical questions or strong questions, but also you said about observations. Yes. We are, you are observing. I'm not really sure that we are uh, using the observations so much in coaching for health and social care. Mm. Do you think that we are using it? Um, I think that it is very, very important to observe and then to give the feedback of what you observe, you know, to the person, you know, uh, in a context. Um, I don't think we're doing so much because every day, you know, we are so bogged down by many things to do. And coaching can sometimes be seen as very time consuming. Um, but once we get the hang of it, you find that once you coach someone, uh, the chance of the person coming back with a repeated situation will be much lesser. So overall, you know, we do save time. Um, but, you know, it's uh, just something challenging because it's not in our inherent nature um, to be patient and to um, um, tell people our observations. You know, we are quite quick to tell people what to do. So that is something that all coaches need to be aware of. Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, well, I'm trained in the, the improvement tools. So I'm always thinking in measurements, you know, like that. But I think this kind of observations really could be a good point that we not only have our measurements and see if a change is an improvement, but we also observe how are people feeling in this change? How are they, what, what kind of attitudes do they have? What kind of attitudes are they showing? Mm. I think that's mm. also very important. So I will definitely take that with me to, to make some notes about observations. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I think what you suggested is a good point because it's also important to debrief with the person who has been coached, whether they were stressed, whether they were comfortable. Um, and I think with the debrief, you know, the coach will also get some good feedback about what works and what may not work. Um, yeah, so that's a very good input. Thanks for that, Nicolina. I think the, the debriefing part, do you use that always? That you afterwards, after your coaching, have a short debriefing or not? Yeah, actually we do. In fact, it's interesting because the person being coached is often the one who wants to debrief and talk about it. And I think, you know, that is very uh, encouraging. Yes. Uh, so the coach will actually excitedly tell, uh, the coachee rather, will excitedly tell the coach um, how he or she started being quite stuck and when certain questions were asked, you know, they are, you know, some scales drop off their eyes and they begin to see something differently. So that's actually a very uh, good feedback uh, for coaches. So even when the coachee doesn't initiate, I think it's good for the coach um, to debrief, to also convey that we are not trying to uh, stress them out, um, but the questions are really meant um, to help them to find the solutions, you know, that will be more sustainable than me offering you a quick one because I do not fully understand your situation, but you are the only person who fully understands your situation.
yeah, yeah. So this debriefing is more spontaneously. Yes. And you said it can be the coachee who, yes. who is uh, just Initiate. giving some. Um, should the, I'm just thinking. So so I'm just trying to trying something out. Should we make it formal? Should we have a, a formalized debriefing after each coaching, coaching session? session? Yeah, I I don't see why not. I think that's a good reminder. Um, for to clarify any misunderstanding, to highlight any uh, mutual learning points, I think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. That is really nice. Just just to find out what did we learn both. Yes. 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 That's yes. really good. So it's a nice balance between supporting and challenging. So I think that's the whole essence of coaching. You know, at at one point you want to support the coachee, but at certain critical points you also want to challenge them to think a bit more, to dig deeper into themselves. So it's always nice to debrief, you know, whether that balance has been achieved. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking about the learning of the coach, uh, because, okay, we, we are coaching others to make good improvements and do the best for Esther. Um, but how can I learn myself and how can I be better as a coach? How do you do that? I think every coach must have a coach or a mentor yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I think that is, is like, a, a, you know, it's like a pyramid, you know where you actually stand on the shoulders of giants. So every coach should have someone, you know, that you can turn to, whether I have been too harsh, whether I have uh, been too, um, um, you know, uh, relaxed, you know, about with the coach. Um, yeah, so I think that coaching, you know, uh, that coaching is actually a cycle. Yeah, and with that cycle, you get feedback to improve on how you coach others as well. Do you have a mentor or do you have several mentors? Oh yes, definitely. You know, I have got um yes, I have one main mentor and several others and I think we all should have different um types of relationships that we go to different people for different kinds of things because everyone has different strengths and you know, but you need to find people you can trust, um people that can be very open with you. Um and if you trust that person, you know, the feedback will, will definitely be constructive. Mm -hmm. Um, you have been coaching for a long time, first as a social worker and now in, in improvement work. How do you keep your energy as, as a coach? Um, I guess being surrounded by people around me uh, who are equally passionate, um, you know, and, and listening to them and drawing energy uh, from their success. You know, uh, when I see their success, I also, uh, it gives me energy because I feel that it is my success as well. Um, and I, when I see their challenge, uh, it gives me empathy because it tells me that, you know, the difficulties that I experience, you know, is also not uncommon. So I guess surrounding yourself with people uh, and a strong network, people driven towards a common purpose to make things better uh, for Esther for tomorrow, you know, that is a strong way, you know, to keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, we are also talking about celebration. Uh, do you have a lot of celebrations or how do you use that? Um, previously, no. But with um, Esther Network coming in, I think we celebrate more. We definitely eat more cakes now, though we have healthier ones. We try to. Um, and we try to, uh, we are reminded, you know, by our counterparts in Sweden uh, to frequently let our hair down and celebrate, you know, achievements, you know, whether small or big. It doesn't always have to wait for a big achievement doesn't wait need to wait for things to be perfect uh, we should celebrate uh, small achievements because success success begets success 
Well, maybe the, the, the word celebration, maybe that's too big. Maybe you should say uh, we should appreciate so that you really get, again, the power to continue. Yes. Um, I, I think it's sometimes quite hard to be a coach for a long haul. Yes. Um, but if you get, if you call it celebration or mm. appreciation, mm. you can continue. Yes. And um, sometimes you take the lead as a lead coach. Mm. And sometimes you have just to sit a little bit in the back and let somebody else take the lead. Yes. How, yes. how do you see that? You are the lead coach in, in Singapore. How, how do you feel about that? Oh yes, I, I think that the, um, having an exchange of uh, roles sometimes is very important. Uh, like right now I'm here in Sweden spending almost slightly more than a month and my team is doing a fantastic job, you know, leading Esther and keeping the network alive uh, and I'm watching from the side and giving them the support from behind. So, so that is a good um, exchange for me and I think that's important because I do believe everyone has the ability and the desire to contribute um, and we should exchange the driver's seat, you know, at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Is that a challenge? Um, can you just um, sit relaxed in the back seat or how do you feel? How, how do you leave your driver's seat to somebody else? Ah, that is a very good question. I think it takes time. I must say that, you know, it didn't start very naturally in the beginning. There's always this anxiety whether things would go right or go wrong. Um, but I guess it just have to take practice. Um, and probably, you know, we can have some pre-meetings to discuss how things um, would be done uh, to allay the anxieties. Um, and then if you occupy yourself with something else to do, I think naturally, you know, we will be not so worried. Um, and usually, you know, things do work out. Um, as long as the relationship is strong, the trust is there. And more importantly, is the mindset that we should not be afraid of failures. Um, sometimes, you know, why we are so um, insecure is because we are afraid of failures. We want control. Uh, but I've learned, you know, very much the first thing when I came here is the need to give away control. Uh, that's when you get to enjoy, you know, the beauty, you know, of what comes out from people's creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's somebody else in the driving seat. And now we are in that change that we are putting the patients in the driving seat. Mm, um, mm. So that they could lead the sessions or they could lead the coaching or mm. they could lead the change. Mm. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I think that is something really, really um, exciting. Because first we must ask whose car is that? Okay, if we are talking about healthcare, we are talking about patient's health, you know, actually that car belongs to that patient. Yeah, and... and and, and there's actually nothing wrong about having the patient uh, take the driver's seat. But, you know, in our traditional model of care, whether in the healthcare and in the social care, uh, we have been so accustomed to taking the driver's seat to providing care to the patient rather than care along or care with the patient. Uh, that it is something that we have to unlearn. Yeah, and, 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 and culturally, you know, um, the patients might be afraid to take the driver's seat because they may not trust themselves. So I think there's a long way to go for us to empower our patients by building, um, by number, number one, by first understanding, you know, their true concerns, what truly matters, 
Then number two, by working on improving and increasing those capabilities, areas that they lack confidence in. And then number three, by letting go of the control uh, of our own anxieties. And it can be a very good collaboration. And I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. If the patient drives for about 100 meters or 100, I don't know, maybe 10 kilometers and he's tired and he wants you to take over, then we just do it. Yeah, I think it's just a very open um, thing on the table that we should just um, communicate uh, about what we are ready to do and what we are not. Mm -hmm. So now you are a bit touching your PhD, mm -hmm. which is about co-production and yes. Esther and person-centered care. Yes. Um, do you want to summarize a bit and tell a bit about your PhD? Yeah, so I'm still in the formative stage, uh, but the broad idea why I'm doing, is, doing this is also about the importance of measurement and evaluating you know, the work that we have been doing. Uh, we are not trying to prove something, but we are actually trying to improve, you know, on the work uh, that we are doing. I think nobody can dispute that person-centered care is important. But what is uh, critical now is to be able to define what exactly it is, what is the working model behind it, you know, who needs to be part of this collaboration, and which, uh, what are the roles of each uh, professional groups, whether in a health setting or in a social care setting, even private sectors. So these are the details and the critical components that I hope my PhD uh, can expound on and contribute you know, to the academic knowledge uh, that can be applicable in our real life uh, situations. Mm -hmm. So you will be back in Yunshiping for several years and coming back and studying and helping us and contributing. Yes. So I really hope to invite you again. Sure. Um, so maybe once a year we get an update uh, all about your learnings and uh, see what others are doing. Um, so I want to thank you very much for this chat and uh, wonderful to have you here and good luck with your PhD. Thank you very much and happy Valentine's Day. Ah yes, Valentine's this podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden.